Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and this is season two of the Paychecks Business Series podcast. I'm a certified public accountant, regular business columnist for a bunch of publications you may know, like uh, The Guardian, The Washington Times, The Philadelphia Inquirer, The Hill, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and others. But most importantly, I'm a small business owner of a financial and technology management services company, and I've teamed up with Paychecks the leading provider of human resources, payroll benefits, and insurance services to bring you real-life advice uh, and and experiences from real-life business owners and experts. Now, last season, we talked about the challenges associated with COVID-19. This season, we're focusing on moving forward and innovating and navigating the road to recovery, Um, but really, we're still stuck with COVID-19. There's a lot of issues still there that we need to be addressing if we do want to move forward. So we're really fortunate today to have a great guest who who can give us the most updated information about keeping our businesses as safe and healthy as possible. It's Dr. Anthony Harris. He is a professor of epidemiology and public health at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. Uh, Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. Can you, can you just elaborate a little bit on, on what you do? Sure. So I have lots of titles, which doesn't necessarily um, becomes hard to explain what I do, but I'm an infectious disease physician first and foremost. And then I got a master's of public health um, training. And then for the last 21 years, what's most relevant to reopening businesses is I function as a hospital epidemiologist. And a hospital epidemiologist is a term which no one really understood, no one really cared about until, you know, the last four or five months when COVID has exploded and now it's like a household name in all the newspapers. But what a hospital epidemiologist does or a healthcare epidemiologist does and and has done for decades is to deal with basically helping to prevent the spread of viruses and resistant bacteria in healthcare facilities. And in essence, they aim to prevent um, patients from getting these infections and they prevent healthcare workers from getting us. So all kinds of issues like what masks to use, what disinfectant to use. Do you need to worry about this virus or bacteria being transmitted by droplets or aerosol? And um, all these issues we've been dealing with for decades in the healthcare setting. And now that knowledge is obviously extremely relevant to um, businesses. And traditionally, interestingly, the field of infection control in healthcare epidemiology is not just a field um, done by infectious disease physicians, but it's kind of a very collaborative field where it's mainly occupied by um, infectious disease physicians or hospital epidemiologists, as I'll use going forward, working with um, specialty nurses called infection prevention um, nurses and infection control practitioners. And they work together basically on all these type of issues in the hospital and in ambulatory clinics. And now obviously the knowledge that they've been using for pre-COVID viruses and bacteria and are using on a day-to-day basis um, to help keep hospitals safe is now knowledge that is appropriately sought out by um, businesses and um, newspapers, obviously, and the general public to help guide safety as we're moving through this very fluid situation with COVID-19. 
Yeah, you know, it's so all of this knowledge that you have that you've applied in the healthcare environment now is is we have so many business owners that are hungry for the same knowledge because we're trying to operate safe, you know, businesses for our, our customers and employees. So, you know, again, you know, this has all changed so much over the past few months. You and I are talking now, it's like the middle of September. So this is the most recent, you know, information available. So let's cut to it. So Anthony, you mentioned about recommending about what masks that people should be using or wearing. So what masks should be people using or wearing, uh, both personally as a business owner and also that we should be advising our employees to be using? As you know, it's a, the recommendations have really been fluid when it comes to masks. And, and a lot of it relate to how available are masks um, in our country, right? So as an example, if as a country and you know as a world we had unlimited amounts of n95 masks and n95 masks were able to be worn by everyone in a comfortable fashion i think most experts would be recommending the n95 mask because it would be the most efficacious to prevent all transmission of corona coronavirus, both in a droplet and in an aerosolized fashion. Now, that would be the ideal utopian situation. From a practical point of view, what I recommend to most businesses on September, you know, middle of September 2020, is that a standard surgical mask, if available, so a non-N95, a non-K95 mask is the way to go as long as we obviously have enough availability in the country so that we don't run into a shortage of these surgical masks for healthcare workers. Now, as I alluded to, your listeners are probably right now, well, that's not the recommendation the CDC was making in March. That's because I think in March, we were much more concerned about shortages of these um, surgical loop masks or standard surgical masks. I think in September 2020, most businesses, um, if willing to spend the money, and I would say it's worthwhile to spend the money, should be um, investing in getting kind of these standard surgical masks for their employees. And most importantly, explaining to their employees the proper way to wear, proper way to wear their mask over their nose, over their mouth, the proper way to perform hand hygiene before they put the mask on and when they take it off so that they're protecting themselves. And I think that's really the sweet spot because an N95 and a K or a K95 mask is much less comfortable for people to wear. And so for the general public to think that they're going to go into a business and wear an N95 mask the whole day, I don't think that's the sweet spot. So although more efficacious, it's much less, it's much harder to work for an extended period of time, which is why I think the sweet spot is a surgical mask if available. And if not available, um, cloth masks are much better than no mask at all. So it's kind of on a scale of one to 10 with you know all theoretical advantages of, of preventing transmission, an N95 mask would be like a 10 out of 10. A surgical mask would be like an eight or nine and a cloth mask would be like six or seven. Now, I think unfortunately in, the, in this country, the reason we're having a problem is most people are functioning at a zero because they're not wearing a surgical mask or a cloth mask when needed. 
and or they're not wearing it properly, it's hanging around their chin, or they're constantly contaminating themselves because they're not putting it on and taking it off properly with proper hand hygiene. So if we could get everyone in businesses to wear just the plain old cloth mask, it would dramatically decrease the transmission. But as many of your listeners probably are, they're aiming not just for the six or seven out of 10, they're aiming for the nine out of 10. And if that's the case, I would recommend the surgical mask. How about face shields though? Where do they play into this? So this is where the, the science has been changing and it's, it's a fluid situation. And um, your public probably wonders why such healthcare ep experts can't agree. So let me answer that question with some epidemiologic numbers, but would be easy to understand. I think if you took 100 healthcare epidemiology experts and you asked them about face shields, they would, all 100 would say basically you're best off theoretically wearing a, a, a face mask plus a face shield, and I'll explain why. I'd say about 10 people out of the 100 would say that the face shield alone is the way to go. And, and basically, let me um, delve a little bit into who you're trying to protect and how you best protect and why there's still controversy. The mask or the shield is aiming to, one, contain the virus, meaning if you're, if you're symptomatic or asymptomatic and you're shedding virus, the role of the personal protective equipment is to prevent that virus from being um, excreted in kind of, in most cases, that six foot region to someone who's in that six foot region or into the um, you know, surfaces like a desk, a computer in that six foot region. The second role basically of the personal protective equipment, whether it's the mask or the shield, is to protect you from the virus that's coming towards you in that six, six foot region. Okay, so they're theoretical. Where we are in at this time in on you know September 2020, most people feel as if the mask is better at source containment, meaning if I'm excreting virus, wearing a mask is better than a face shield at containing that virus and preventing me from infecting someone else. And I'd say the majority of people feel that the face shield um, is better at protecting you from getting infected from the virus. Now, the mask works well for that as well. The issue with the face shield that people don't agree on, and there are some people who strongly feel that it works for both mechanisms, both the um, source containment and prote protecting you, is that some people feel as if the face shield doesn't protect source containment, meaning the virus leaks out around um, the shield. Now, th the thing I would say that combines the two, especially in a business setting, do I think it's feasible for most people to be walking around with a face mask and a face shield in a business setting? No. So it gets at the issue of one of the benefits of the face shield is you're trying to protect your eyes, right? So that if you're wearing a mask, you're not protecting your eyes, obviously, from virus that can make its way in there. Now, we don't know how common that is, but I think a reasonable compromise for a lot of businesses is if you have business workers, example, who wear contacts or glasses, you're better off wearing your glasses plus a mask. Glasses are not perfect, but they protect a large portion of the surface area. And there are a lot of fairly inexpensive, um, you know, 
um, glasses that you can get separate from the face shield that cover more of a surface area that you can wear for a mask. And I think in most, most in, you know, in society, in most businesses, right, you're going to have like a third, a third, a third, right? The goal is to try to convince the third of people who don't think this is a problem at all to basically wear any form of a mask most of the time. Then you have your middle ground or looking for this sweet spot of protecting themselves but combining comfort, right? And then you have the third who want to do absolutely everything. The third who want to do absolutely everything, those are the people who will probably be wearing a mask and a face shield and that's totally fine. And then the middle ground probably wants some combination basically of, um, or they're very compliant with a mask and, but they don't want to wear a face shield in addition. If they wear, if they wear the mask though, but you're saying a mask plus maybe some like safety goggles, which a lot of my clients have, and they're very inexpensive, um, might be a good middle ground. I totally agree with that. So, um, that's what I try to encourage my family to do as an example, when they're going to the grocery stores, they all wear a mask. I try to um, bump them up into that top third by basically we bought some fairly inexpensive um, glasses and goggles. Do they go around wearing the face shield? No, absolutely not. Yours truly goes around wearing the face shield. And part of the reason I'm doing it is I'm seeing COVID patients both as a hospital epidemiologist, kind of strolling the floors and making sure things are being done, but I'm also a practicing clinician. And so I see, people, I see COVID patients um, when I'm doing infectious disease consults and when I'm doing general medicine attending. And so my goal by wearing the, the mask and the shield is not only to protect uh, myself, but basically to protect people in the grocery store or the supermarket where I'm right. going. People give me some weird looks, definitely gave me weird looks in March and April when I was wearing <laughs> it. But now, interestingly, a lot of people will ask me stuff like, well, where'd you get that face shield? Where'd you get that mask? Um, and I value those questions because then I can educate um, people on how best to do it. The, the thing that makes me sad and, you know, um, I do not, because it's such a hot topic, I'm not running around preaching to everyone, but I see people wearing masks, but wearing it improperly. And then they're touching their face a lot. And you defeat a lot of the purpose of the mask because you're in essence, then potentially picking up the virus right. on the mask on your front onto your hands. And then you see people slap the mask off when they get into their car and they're immediately touching their face. And you're like, I can't tell you um, how many uh, head coaches I watched on Sunday during, you know, the NFL games that were doing just that. They had masks below their nose, hanging below their mouths. You know, they're touching their face all over. Yeah. And I was saying that to my wife, I was saying, these guys just take the mask off. I mean, it is really, it's, it's providing absolutely no benefit at all. So the question I have about cleaning surfaces is back at the beginning of COVID, we were told, oh my God, you've got to wipe down everything every two minutes. And you know, even if you get a delivery of food, you need to wipe down the bags because COVID, you know, it stays on this and can still affect you. Is that still the case? Should we be you know, diligently cleaning our offices, you know, all the time? It seems so crazy. You clean a surface and then like, you know, it gets, you know, contaminated the first minute that somebody touches it again. So what is a good common ground for a business owner? What would you recommend? 
I think as you alluded to, you know, 100% correctly, the importance of cleaning has taken a slightly secondary role. And so if you could get everyone basically to wear face masks and to wash their hands on a frequent basis, um, the role of cleaning the environment in a business would be much less important because basically, even if you touched the virus in the environment, by wearing a mask and cleaning your hands, you would unlikely to be infected. Now, the good news note related to the environment is that the virus is actually killed by uh, most, if not all, cleaning solutions that are used in common offices. You just have to look and double check that your product works. And I think is there potential value in increasing the frequency? Meaning if you have a cleaning staff coming into your business once a day, do you need to do a lot more than that? Not necessarily. I think the thing you probably could focus in on that may be useful is to look at what the high touch surfaces are in your business, whether that's like a common refrigerator or the elevator buttons. And I think if you assign someone to clean those high touch surfaces more frequently than once a day, that's kind of a happy compromise. If you have a larger budget, obviously you can employ kind of your cleaning staff more frequently to do more frequent surfaces. And, and I think the environment may be more important in that in certain business settings, right, where let's say people are not wearing masks and not able to wear masks, you, you know, so as an example in the entertainment industry where, um, where we've done some consulting, you know, if there are actors that are not able to wear masks, you wanna focus basically on different interventions, including more thorough cleaning in that kind of setting. But if you're a business that's using masks, um, cleaning is less important as you alluded to than masks and hand hygiene. It's so funny where you mentioned about focusing on the high touch areas. You know, when you run a business, you learn after a number of years that, you know, the 2080 rule, you know, 80% of your profits come from 20% of your customers and, you know, 80, you know, 80% of your inventory gets sold to, you know, 20% you know, of your inventory gets sold 80% of the time. So you focus on like where the big bucks are and your advice to just say, Hey, listen, you know, focus on the high highly trafficked areas of your business, like you said, a refrigerator in the break room or specific conference table, maybe you clean those a little more often. That would make complete sense to anybody running a business. Okay. Temperature checks. How important are they? What are your advice about doing those? So that's one where I would say now in September, that's a waste of money to a certain extent, because basically um, a temperature check alone is not going to pick up enough people. I think if you want to go the route of trying to make sure people do not come to work, which is important, one, you got to instill in your business, this is super important. And you got to instill that in the first couple of days when you have COVID, your symptoms may be extremely mild. So you have to create a business environment where you're encouraging people not to come to work if they have any symptoms at all. If you want to do a temperature check, the better way to go is incorporate the temperature check with what's called a symptom check. And, you know, you, you, you can have experts like hospital epidemiologists or infection preventionists help advise you on this, but you can also go to kind of CDC websites and you can basically make a list of all the symptoms and have your employees basically say they do not have this, they do not have that. You know, some sophisticated businesses have done this on apps, but it obviously works equally well, you know, um, you know, just having your people read over a checklist on a sheet of paper before they come to work and make sure they're not coming to work with those symptoms. If you want to get more thorough, as some businesses have, they someone have someone screening at the entranceway, basically asking all of those questions 
Um, but the temperature check alone is not the way to go. And definitely don't go the route of getting, you know, the ten or $15,000 thermo scanner, right. which unfortunately some businesses wasted their money. They could have gotten a lot of masks and a lot of alcohol-based hand products. And in fact, could have probably hired a consultant <laughs> to come in and walk the floors for them and make more concrete recommendations for, you know, half or a third of the cost. Love that. Love that. Okay. So temperature checks maybe combined with, you know, a check of all symptoms might have some useful, but temperature checks on their own, um, you're not a huge fan of. How about, um, how about ventilation, uh, Anthony, in an office and HVAC system? There was, again, it was at some point, it was a month into COVID, there was this viral video of some guy in, you know, in a, in a Chinese restaurant. You must have seen this, right? You know, the one guy was positive for COVID and he coughs. And then they showed out, goes through the whole ventilation system of the restaurant and everybody gets infected by it. You know, is that, is that true? And, and what, as again, as a business owner, is there anything we should be doing to checking our ventilation systems? Is this really a risk? Right. So this ties in, I think, to your 80-20 rule, but this does tie into where there's tremendous controversy. Okay. So if you take most people similar in my field, you know, infectious disease physician and hospital epidemiologist, I think 98% of them would advise that that's not the way to go. Um, for the to prevent the majority of transmissions in a business, um, and um, but if if you look at some you know airborne particle experts and industrial engineers, there's they are absolutely convinced that there are some cases of airborne transmission. And just to keep it brief, it relates to the fact that not all COVID is transmitted by a droplets in the six foot zone, and not all and um, but similarly, very, very little COVID is transmitted the way measles or chickenpox or tuberculosis is where you have these extremely distant cases. So using the business analogy, those type of viruses and bacteria that are airborne could be transmitted from someone on the second floor up to someone on the 20th floor. Um, and that happens a lot with true airborne pathogens. It's felt like for um, COVID, that that is not the major mechanism. Now, there are compromises that you can do. So as an example, it's worthwhile looking at your air filters that are in your office building and their standards called MRF standards. Most businesses have like a MRF filter that's a six or seven. You can get a MRF filter of 13 that's relatively inexpensive um, and not pay more. So if you want to err on the side of caution, that's what you would do. Most businesses, though, should not be investing in, you know, UV light disinfectant hooked into their airborne, into their filtration system, because that's going to be exceedingly costly. And will it work to prevent those very rare airborne cases that may theoretically occur? Yes. But again, on the um, list of priorities, the money would be much better spent, as an example, having someone just walking around, making sure people are using their masks properly and disinfecting their hands. But, you know, most businesses have access to probably someone who does manage their air system. And it's useful just in general to just get an update on that and maybe move to the higher grade filter would be my recommendations. But there is a lot of controversy in this, you know, every single day, there's someone in the major journals arguing um, that airborne transmission 
is a possibility and that we're neglecting that route. So there is a small vocal quotient of people who feel strongly about that mechanism. So, Anthony, in the few minutes that we have left, and, and I do intend to ask you to come on back, um, once vaccines start becoming reality and coming on the market, I'm going to want to you know, get your insights on those, but we're just slightly premature of that right now. More importantly, particularly for our audience who are, again, retailers, you know, restaurant owners, let, let me ask you just, just a couple of sort of personalized questions when it comes to what's going on right now. So you live, do you live in Maryland? I know you, you teach yep. at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, right? Yep. So is the state of Maryland allowing people to eat in restaurants right now? Each county has different rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm supporting small businesses strongly by picking up my food. I have not eaten at a restaurant, but there are restaurants that are allowing limited seating. And there are restaurants that have um, expanded their outdoor seating capacity. What would it take to get you into a restaurant to eat now? Well, I think it talks to one area that I think um, we haven't talked a little bit about, um, which is basically testing, right? So mm-hmm. we focused a lot on infection control, which is kind of my, my bread and butter of how to prevent things. But testing is critically important. Now, I've been saying this for months and haven't been true, right? But I'll try again. I hope I'm going to be right on this. I think we're on the cusp of basically having cheap, inexpensive, fairly good with high sensitivity and specificity tests that could be done. Abbott Labs just say they're releasing these tests, like millions of them, hopefully by the end of October, right? Yeah, and there are a number of them. And the ideal setting would be, and I think businesses should consider this, is you would basically be testing your employees on a frequent basis um, Mm. with a reliable test. Mm. Um, And potentially you even could test the patrons coming in if they allowed it. Um, And that I think would create a very, very safe environment. So the cornerstones of how we win this, right? And I'll get to the vaccines is we win this by basically focusing on infection control, which, which involves preventing transmission. We focus in on more testing, which allows you to identify people early on and quarantine them so they're not infecting people. And then you buy yourself time with those two big bundled interventions until vaccines are available. Now, there are a lot of vaccines that are super promising. It's really great that um, there are a lot of vaccine phase three trials, our last set of trials that are nearing completion of enrolling people. So that's great and exciting. But from a practical point of view, um, even if those results are released in the middle of November, the middle of December, as an example, it's going to take a lot of infrastructure to crank up vaccine production. And so we need to buy ourselves time until the vaccines are really available to the general public, which um, is not going to be for a long time. It's, it's not going to be in 2020, and it's probably not going to be in the first quarter of 2021. We want the vaccines when they come out to definitely be deemed to be efficacious and deemed to be safe. And so we got to use the other interventions to open up our businesses safely, keep the businesses open, keep the employees from getting infected and sick, keep the patrons from getting sick until the vaccines are readily available. Would you, uh, would you travel now? I think 
airplanes are fairly safe, to be honest, because they have a large amount of airflow. So the airflow, um, I've reviewed this with some of my colleagues, the airflow on most airplanes is much better than the airflow, as an example, in an office building. And so I would travel, but I can tell you, I would wear my mask and I would wear my face shield for the duration of that flight. Um, and yes, I think in that setting, traveling on, on airplanes is safe. I think the tricky thing, obviously, is when you travel on the airplane, you likely then expose yourself when you're off the airplane to different settings because you're less compliant than you are, um, you know, socially distanced at home. And so the people who are looking like they may have acquired the infection on the airplane are probably not acquiring it on the airplane, but acquiring it when they then go to the restaurant, when they're on that business trip, or they go to that public gathering where people aren't wearing masks and not having gotten on the airplane, but it's difficult to tease out where they may have gotten it. Dr. Anthony Harris is a professor of epidemiology and public health, University of Maryland School of Medicine. Uh, Anthony, thank you so much for this great information. We will definitely have you back, particularly as some of these vaccines start to come to reality and on the marketplace. I'm interested in your thoughts then, as well as uh, your updated thoughts on things we should be doing. As, as you had mentioned previously many times, uh, the landscape is changing. So thank you, Anthony. Uh, for more great podcast episodes from the Paychex Business Series podcast and other information to help you run your business, please visit paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. My name is Gene Marks. Thanks everyone for listening. This podcast is property of Paychex Inc. 2020, all rights reserved.